This is a journey to the intersection of culture and commerce from the Black perspective, where we talk about business, entertainment, relationships, religion, and how our Blackness is depicted and eventually monetized. This is The Business of Black. Business of Black. This is Stokely, Black Republican Company. This is uh, Donald from Stolen Outfitters. And our guest today, Linda Thrasher from Grace and Lloyd. Hey, Linda. Hey, Linda. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, so much to get to. Well, not, I mean, yes and no, but a lot to get to because I've kind of been looking forward to this particular conversation, seeing as how, like we were talking about earlier, we kind of into design and stuff. And that's something that we pointed out um, while I was talking to you earlier this week. Yes. And uh, I love the multicultural background that you have developed. It's in my DNA, actually. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So tell us more about yourself before we get further into. In what context? Just the your typical, I was born here well, kind of thing? How, however you want yourself to be portrayed. Okay. I'm a mother, a CEO, a lover of art and nature. That's it. Oh. So you're gonna make, you're gonna make it even more difficult. <laughs> no, not difficult at all. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, of all those things, what's the most important to you? What's the most important to me? Being a mom. You know, because you're you are encouraging, supporting people that are going to go out in the world and do, and you hope that you can do the best and create amazing, wonderful human beings, right? Right. And how, how do you go about leaving your fingerprint? Oh, it's in my kids. If you, I, There are things that are just intrinsically in there, and then there are parts that excite me where I see bits and pieces of them that remind me of my grandparents or an aunt or an uncle, and, and just encouraging them to be who they are. That's it. Like, that's my thing. I want you to walk in your truth and be who you are, and I'll support and love you. All right. And how... How's your background? Because I know you're from Tanzania. That's correct. And how long were you there as opposed to? I was born there, um, left when I was six. So my formative years, who I am, it's that, you know, and uh, my grandmother specifically. And um, then lived in the Midwest for most of my uh, elementary middle high school life. The Upers? The Upers are a little bit northern. Nor- northern like, you know, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Even though you don't have that twang to it. It comes out sometimes. Mm-hmm. People can recognize it, especially in the city where you have so many transplants and transient people. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it clicks. Certain colloquialisms will come right. out, you know, but as far as an accent, I think I have a Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota accent, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. with a little bit of my foreign language stuff that comes in. Mm, a little bit. Not just a little bit. Speak what? A few. Um, English is actually my third. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kibena is the tribal language, Kiswahili or right. Swahili, um, and then English. And then from there, pretty much all the Latin languages, right? Like you were so talking about earlier. English or Spanish, Spanish, French, Portuguese, which there's some Portuguese word. That, well, people who colonized Tanzania, there are right. bits and pieces of their languages 
okay. in Swahili as well. So Portuguese, yeah. Um, German, German colonizers. Wow, you only, you only stated four. Yeah. Um, and then a few more. So, okay. <laughs> so fluent in Spanish, several. Right. Um, and comfortable and conversational in others. And then always curious to learn more and see how languages are actually connected. Yeah, I'm just really starting because my son, um, he knows a little bit of Spanish because mm-hmm. we took him to Guatemala for uh, two months and he studied there. Do you have family? No, no, no. That was just a decision we made. We homeschool him, so <laughs> we're able to do, you know, able to do those kind of things. Yes. But um, it's funny how that opens you up to want to do and learn other things, Mm -hmm. right? Which I think is the benefit of being able to study abroad or, you know, learn another language or something like that. I agree. Ask away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is, this is all the personal. um, So I'm I'm waiting to build up about the business. um, (laughs) I'm interested in, uh, what made you want to get into real estate? And then even after you decide to get into it, how long before you were able to get into it? Okay. Um, always interested in architecture and design. Okay. okay so I've been in, uh, as I like to say, an artsy fartsy as long as I can remember. Um, so you originally wanted to be an architect? I actually originally wanted to be an art therapist. Art, art therapist. Yes. Explain that. Uh, so instead of just going into the office, right, and you're laying on the couch, it's more of expressing yourself in illustration, you know, drawing something, putting your feelings out on paper instead of just spewing them and then having someone kind of dissect it, how they've learned clinically to dissect it, right? And um, just doing it through that. And I think part of that stemmed from when I first moved to the U.S., not being able to speak English. And I'd have to communicate something. I'd it's easier it to draw it out, mm-hmm. right? Kind of like hieroglyphics or mm-hmm. how they did on the walls and whatnot. Exactly. Well, kind of the way your brain functions, it deals with shapes, yeah. colors, right? Versus words. Mm-hmm. So just shapes that you right. You know, learn to re- represent certain things. Exactly. Um, but never wanted to be an architect. Uh. Never wanted to be an architect, but a natural proclivity to things. Like I was the girl that played with the GI Joes and Barbies in a different way, right? And read like quantum mechanics and manuals and took apart radios. And so just the way things work, which is really kind of part of yeah, engineering and architecture, you know, um, and drawing it out like, oh, maybe if I combine this and this, it would make that, you know, um, yeah, so it's kind of a combination of yeah, engineering and design. I mean, all of it is the core components of the same, right? Right. Same thing, just two different approaches. Yeah. Um, like I said, the one part of your brain kind of explains it, and the other part can draw yeah. a diagram. Yeah, and I'm that. I have that brain. Right. 50-50, 60-40, depending on the situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Moving from art therapy and saying, all right, I'm not going to be an art therapist for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much they get paid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about them. Um, I, if I did, I probably would have looked at it as a pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, you go into just 
having affinity for interesting spaces and being able to convince other people there's value in them? Yes. Yeah. And it happened um, in Minnesota. I was with my son at, I remember it was a room and board and just looking at things and and I'm having conversations with him, you know, about different things like this mid-century piece would look really good on this house on Chicago Avenue in, in Minneapolis or whatever. And three people behind me and this gentleman who's an investor comes up to me and he's like, you know, I'm looking to acquire four properties and I would really love for you to just look through them. I can tell with your eye, you know, that you might be able to give me something that I didn't think about. And I said, okay. And it kind of started from there, kind of an apprenticeship type situation to a few years later, a real estate license. And here I am. So, 20 years later. so it was, it was happenstance that you got into real estate. It was happenstance that I thought of that going in that direction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've always understood the importance of owning, right? Right. If, you don't own the land, then you're begging for concessions, right? Right. So having that and knowing what that could do and how that could leverage families and, you know, there's always that thought for me. Everything is always long term. Right. And um, like, okay, well, I do enjoy design. I do enjoy the way things are made and it combined languages too. Cause it's like, okay, there's the Spanish design, French and, and then the words for that defenestration, right. Is to take a window out and that's right. French, right. Um, it's a French term. And so all of that, all the things that excite me were in one place, right. I could sketch something out. I could tell people about color and color theory and what would work and what design elements are great here structurally what you could do to change a space, you know, but keep the integrity of it and, and then get people excited about it and yes, make money, but that's not the driver. All right. So this is the the business of black. We have to move away from the structured conversation into as black people, do we believe in happenstance? Do we believe in happenstance? Or is it synchronicity? Because you're saying Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. um, you happen to be having a conversation. Minnesota. Minnesota, Mm -hmm. Um, You're having a conversation with a completely different party. Somebody standing close enough to hear it. Mm -hmm. Where were they from? They were uh, native Minnesotan. They were actually native Minnesotan. Mm -hmm. But you hadn't run into them prior to that. No. And to this day, we're we're friends. Right. So do we believe in happenstance or do we believe in attracting uh, opportunities and inviting synchronicity? Okay. So you're speaking to an African in America who is naturalized and now could be called whatever, right? Whatever. So for me, culturally coming from my life in Africa, my relationship with my grandmother and the things that we talk about, like universal law, right? Right. Different things. Uh, There's definitely synchronicity. Nothing is by accident, right? We can explain it that way or because that gives a logical kind of construct of it, but no, you attract what you think. Um, 
And if you're aligned and you're in a place again, where you are in your truth, that's my big thing. Like being in your truth, who you are, that stuff that's deep down inside that you're scared to share for whatever reason, for whatever reason you're conditioned not to because somebody else did not follow a dream or whatever. And then they're like, well, you can't do that. You can't think like that. Like that inner core thing, when that's in alignment, everything else falls Falls into place. There's my answer. And after you get that moment where you uh, realize it can be done, Mm -hmm. here's a client who wants four things Mm -hmm. to prove, like to give, to 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 win their loyalty on one end, but also I'm pretty sure it was a a test for you uh, to see if you could even do it. Yeah, I don't. That's, that's interesting. I know a lot of people operate on that, like testing something, you know, testing a theory or a hypothesis. My brain works differently. So I can see that that, that maybe is your intention in our interaction. And then I could be looking at you, but then I'm beyond that point. Like, yeah, well, I've already assessed things that might come up and the questions that you might bring towards me, but yeah, it's doable. There's nothing is impossible. You know, I like the challenge of taking something that's impossible and making it possible. So I'm like always prepared for, for that. So I guess if that's saying I'm prepared to be tested, yeah, I don't mind. I love being challenged. It's good. It's good for growth. It's good for understanding. A lot of people like to take the easy path. Yeah, no, (laughs) you can ask any of my teachers and, People that have dealt with me, I generally don't take the easy path. I don't think you can build strength without resistance. Yeah. Um, so that that was what the question was alluding to. Sure. Um, here's the force four that comes standing behind you a lot mm-hmm. while you're having a conversation over the next four. Like after, like, were, was it a similar situation? Was referral word of mouth something that you walked into, or was it more about you pitched, physically pitched, or approached I clients? I have yet to really pitch. All of my deals and transactions and interactions are just genuine conversation that leads into something like, oh, mm-hmm. like you were saying earlier about me, like, well, it looks like this. But I know there's something deeper in there. I'm that person. I'm that person you can have a conversation with. And in five minutes, that's it. Like, there's no question. I I barely ever had a a client uh, sign an exclusive agreement with me. Like, I don't do that. Um, And that's kind of been, I guess, when people speak of me, that's one thing that they say they're comfortable enough around me. And there's a calmness that I bring to them and uh, an authenticity. But that's I can't live a different way, you know, to some people being too authentic, too transparent. It's It's unnerving. But for me, it's just who I am. And if I go in any other direction, if I feel that kind of energy of resistance, I won't go there. It's okay. I'll take the longer route, right? Right. I ask that uh, because when you start talking about selling higher and stuff, um, it's going to always put you across the table from uh, just people with a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And um, being able, being articulate in your discipline and mm-hmm. being a people person enough to manage, mm-hmm. you know, personalities mm-hmm. as they exist. Um or more particularly, people who aren't used to being told no. Mm-hmm. Um, have you found 
any difficulty with that. I mean, I, I can tell from sitting across from you that you don't seem like the type of person that would be really uh, thrown off by too much, but have you found? Any difficulty in in people saying no? Well, or just it? managing managing robust personalities, people with a lot of resources that are not really used to being told no, that are really oh, used to. No, but one thing that I've noticed is they appreciate the fact that I, I kind of don't back down like the typical things that might work in uh, working people or selling people don't work with me. Like they actually turn me off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll be quick to say nicely, but firmly. Okay. You know, no, that doesn't work. If, if you want me to deliver what I know you're, you're needing and wanting, like these kind of, I consider them games, right? These kind of games that you're taught or, you know, conditioned ways of doing things that they don't work with me. If that's an issue with you, then maybe this isn't, we're not in alignment and, and it's okay. Right. Most of the time, what generally happens if, if I'm the one that walks away, I get the phone call or the email, Hey, we did this transaction together. Maybe it was somebody who was a seller on a property and love the way the closing happened at the closing table. Then they're calling me and saying, you know, I really love like the way that you deliver and you do. And it comes back to being authentic. That's it. Be authentic. And people who recognize that and understand the value in that are okay. But I feel like a lot of people nowadays, that's more cliche than truth. Yeah. Being authentic. You you deal with most people's what we like to call representative. Yeah. You know, you're not dealing with the real them because they're either guarding themselves from something or or they're trying to get something that they might not deserve. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm about working for what I deserve. I, I like to work. I like challenge. I like to find a solution, you know? So for me, if I'm not being, if I'm not being able to be who I am and to function in that way, then things don't, uh, work well. Um, and yeah, I'm that person in a room. Somebody might think, Oh, she's, you know, standoffish. No, I assess. I figure out who I know I can engage in. So that's part of being an introvert as we were talking right. about earlier. It's like you walk in a room and you kind of assess your space first. And then you know who you can go in and have that intimate conversation with. And then that could lead into other things. Because at the end of the day, there's not going to be a solution. If you're hiding something from me that could help you, it's not helping the situation, right? right. So no, I've always been this way. And yeah, it is, you know, I think the trend, the trend is, you know, authenticity. What are the trend buzzwords right now that deal with that. Like just be who you are, authenticity, right. da, da, da. But a lot of people have layers of makeup, right? Or masks or things that they're trying to prove, right? So insecurities that they might have from a past incident. I never want to be there again. I never want to be vulnerable like that again. I didn't. And maybe they can constitute that with failure or something. That's where I think the, as you were saying, the um, not deserving, you know, I mean, what's, who deserves what, what's deserving, who determines that? What you deserve. Right. Right. Um, It's more of you connect and synchronicity of that and what that leads to is 
abundance that people, a lot of people don't realize is out there. It's out there. It's out there. I, I just function differently. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a struggle with authenticity mm-hmm. that is going on right now because we live in a, a highly edited an airbrush sort of reality mm-hmm. where you get to show people the best bits and pieces of your life. <laughs> I'm back. You know I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, everybody doesn't live on that same yeah. timeline on that same newsfeed. Yeah. But for a lot of people, this has become the reality that's replaced the one that actually the clock is always running. in. Mm-hmm. So for, you know, those of us that, you know, kind of were privileged enough to uh, be that hybrid born in the analog and digital reality mm-hmm. where, you know, we had VCRs and we had stuff that we really wanted to watch on TV and mm-hmm. we had major investments in pop culture. Mm-hmm. We still were firmly anchored in a dirty park. Mm-hmm. A really, really, like, a really tactile reality where we felt pain mm-hmm. versus kind of empathizing with somebody else's pain and then internalizing it into our own experience mm-hmm. that we didn't experience. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, somebody else's happiness synthesizes into our concept of what happiness is. And when we don't have that, we feel like we're missing something. It's not really authentic as much as really knowing what makes you happy, knowing who you are, knowing what shoes fit you and you you know are comfortable walking around it. And I'm not sure if everybody is experiencing that same reality right now or that same freedom to say that this is who I actually am. Well, um, your your mental health is extremely important. So in the era of Instagram and Facebook and people kind of showing their snapshot of a hope they might be having in a moment of despair, like... That's a concern for me again. So authenticity, like going through the pain. If you want to cry, cry. If you need to yell, yell. You know, if you have that one person that you can call, do that because nobody is infallible and that's okay. And I think what's happened as a, yeah, we were discussing, you know, the analog watch in the digital world is that's what I'm most concerned about with people is their mental health. Because if you're comparing And you might have an amazing gift that you're not even honing because you want to copy whoever's on Mm -hmm. whatever TV show or whatever type thing. I mean, reality TV can be good in some ways. And, you know, with everything, it's moderation, moderation. right? Um, So for me, my mental health and my well-being is tantamount and paramount to being the mother that I need to be to my kids, you know, the broker that I need to be to my clients. And it's all about alignment. Um, so you got to, again, go back to your core of who you are and be okay and know that there are other people out there that want to be their, their true selves and they're looking for that tribe. I mean, we have to connect. And it, as much as we're so connected, all of this stuff is so disconnecting, right? Right. Put the phone down every once in a while. And have an actual conversation. Have a conversation. Tell somebody you like their shoes. You know, don't be scared. You never know what that engagement can do. You don't know if that person was ready to commit suicide because they felt unseen, you know? I can tell you for a fact, man to man interactions 
a hard stare can turn into a problem and mm-hmm. can be diffused so quickly just by saying, how you doing, brother? Exactly. It almost invariably draws some type of pleasant reply from the other party. Absolutely. But nobody wants to be vulnerable nowadays. And I feel like that's I a mean, problem. Yeah. If, a, if a comment hits the planet, does anyone have a choice in their vulnerability? And I think sometimes you have to look at it like that. You know, um, there's a lot of moments in life where you realize that you, you really are nothing in the scheme of things, everything all at once. Mm-hmm. I think being a parent is one of those moments mm-hmm. where you hit this reset point where you realize how much you know and you don't know a damn thing because mm-hmm. you just got this brand new person that doesn't know anything for sure and you're mm-hmm. like charged with, with filling them with everything. And it's like that sitting beneath the stars and realizing like for as much as I believe I am on earth, I am nothing in the scheme of things because look at all those stars. You got to constantly reevaluate where you are in, in the scheme of things so that you can humble yourself enough to be a student to the moment. It's like even as a teacher, it's like you have to humble yourself to each student to learn how they learn. Right, correct. In order to be able to teach them. So you can know the topic that you're teaching inside and out, but you don't know each student until you agree to learn them. So it's a humbling process to constantly learn and communicate with people. Mm-hmm. And in it, you become so much greater because you have to shut up and listen to them. And it's like one of the things that's missing from right now, and it's it's it tags along with a depreciating or receding attention span mm-hmm. is people's inability to actively listen. You can read a whole bunch of stuff and misinterpret it because you're not listening to what's, what, to, to what's being not said or what you're seeing. Even like, what's being said, but to even um, physical cues. You know, somebody could stand there and pop their chest and, oh, bold and, oh, brazen and, really? Are they truly, or is this a mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, a coping mechanism? Exactly. And I, I tend to be that person with my clients. I'll, I'll, I'll disarm you with a question, you know, and not to hurt you because that's not my modus. It never has been to help you like come to a place of knowing that vulnerability is strength. You know, it's not weakness at all because that that means you are truly letting go of any controls that you think you have or that you think you need to then get to another level of understanding. So, a lot of people don't. Let me not say a lot of people, but with the constant example that we have nowadays Mm -hmm. from the quote unquote top of this country. But it's a great example. Right. Awesome example. It's an, a great example to go, okay, this person is saying one thing here. The voice is saying one thing. Actions are definitely showing another thing. Right. And then reactions are showing another level of self-understanding. I'm not even gonna call the man insecure. I, I confused, scared. I, I don't know. But I think it's almost important to to look at that and go, hold yourself accountable for whatever it is that you know of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And then work on everything else, right? We all have strengths and weaknesses. You can always make your strengths a lot stronger, which may diminish those weaknesses because you're addressing them in some way anyway, right? right? And if you stop and think about it, 
He's living his best social media life in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. When you stop and think about mm-hmm. it, he actually unfollows people in real time mm-hmm. as far as like how he deals when within his cabinet. Mm-hmm. Or in real time, I'll fire you. Mm-hmm. I won't follow you. And even the the need to fact check is on the same level with social media. Mm-hmm. There is none. You can go off of an emotional whim and stick to it and then, you know, months later switch up. Mm-hmm. Like it never actually happened, even though you know people are going to retweet it. Mm-hmm. They remember. We all saw it. Yeah. Did it in front of all of us. And it's the same type of disconnection from any discernible reality. Mm-hmm. But it also speaks to how many people's reality that is right now, how many people don't have a problem with that, how many people really aren't bothered by adults that move in that fashion that, you know. How many people are disengaged? How many people might deal with narcissists in their family? How many people might deal with people with delusions of grandeur or whatever you want to call it? You know, how many people have somebody that they can think about and go, oh, you know, Uncle Joe or whomever. I never really thought of looking at him this way. And and maybe hopefully it allows discourse, it allows conversation, it allows people to delve. Because if we don't. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even think it was if we don't type of thing. I think um, it's a it's a more or less what are we going to do now yeah. type of thing uh, that's forcing the hand as far as conversation is mm-hmm. concerned. And that was my next point, because this is the business of black. Mm-hmm. And we try to find that overlap between business and the community mm-hmm. because there's a, a definitive divide mm-hmm. that was put in place at some point in time mm-hmm. where um, there's distrust between the corporations and the people that actually like fuel the corporations internally and externally. Mm -hmm. Like we give you the workers and we also give you the patrons. So there should be a familial relationship between corporations and the people that, that actually make a move. And the reason why it's a break is because we're not the same. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about black business and the important and the importance of black business, we get, put into a weird place because everybody acts like we're doing something strange by even prefacing it black, but we're actually reacting to a circumstance um, that we were placed in where we were separated from business Mm -hmm. and the ability to do business and businesses attract back to our families. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So we should have family doctors, family lawyers, and family real estate people because generational wealth is kind of tied to property. Yes. You know, property and I don't know, life. Um, in changing of states. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these things should actually be a part of every family that moves generationally, generationally, generationally and grows together, not just the barber. Yeah. <laughs> the, the binding factor, no disrespect to barber, shout out to cash, but the binding, you know, the binding uh, field should not be the barber that goes between the father and all the sons and he remembers. It should be businesses that bind us together. Mm-hmm. And, um, do you believe that, I mean, well, I don't even want to put this on you, but I, it is my belief that uh, through black business, we can extend our political education as well as our political voice and raise the importance in the patrons as well as the employees to, to think more politically beyond just being consumers. Do you feel that it is the duty of, of black businesses to double down on that premise so that they're not just another hand in the pot. For me, education is a component in what I do. 
Right. And it's to educate. Yeah. Maybe somebody who's always had that consumer mindset because that's what they've been shown. Right. And the other who has had more of the complete like corporate capitalist, uh, human capital, you know, okay, well, if these many people get fired, not if Joe, Maria, you know, Kelly, Katie. Not just a number. Right. Um, yeah. You know, how, how so for me, it's not, it's not even just race specific. Okay. Socioeconomics. I mean, if if we want to go into that direction, you know, for me, it's socioeconomics, right? And then maybe race can be a subcomponent because it's easy to then run to to direct it there. But everybody wants the same thing for their family, for the most part, right? The direction that they may take is again, if you're taking the easy road, well, I've seen it done this way mm-hmm. for generations. Even though I thought about maybe going this way and it could have really made a difference here, that fear of not being, um, the fear of being outside, not Not, even failure. Not being in step with Not being in step and then what challenges may come with that make us, right, complacent to a solution that would be beneficial to all. So for me, socioeconomics are socioeconomics. And again, coming from Africa, yes, I was young, but I came in the 80s. Okay, 82. So just think about those of us that grew up in the 80s, all the things that were going on then, parallel them to now. It's not different. It's not any different. Opioids, housing crises, you know, inflation, uh, wage gaps and what that's going to do, you know, um, gentrification, which again, for me, that's not a dirty word. It is intentional. How can you be more intentional about the communities that may have been disregarded in the natural shift that happens in real estate every seven to 10 years? Oh, let's move on to the burbs. There's this and this and this and this. And everybody goes to the burbs and then they leave the city. So it's not even just the people, but the buildings and the homes, you know, they leave them and then activity comes back in. So now we got to get back into the city and, but we can't afford it because we didn't value what we had when we had it, you know? So how can, if you have this home that you inherited from great aunt Susan, that's been in the family for generations. Okay, you've had that. And great aunt Susan worked hard for that, worked hard to own her home and her land. And you just look at it like, I'd rather have this big, huge space where I'm disconnected from my family again, but we've got square footage, right? We, we have 7,000 square feet and I can text you from the bathroom instead of just coming downstairs or going across the hall and engaging. Right. Um, so more of a sense of, of community. Of community. So again, if somebody is now appreciating something that we didn't, we as in anybody, you know, um, how can there be this, this connection? Like, okay, I understand now what I took for granted. And instead of looking at this person who's seen what I took for granted, possibly, if, if, if that's genuinely the direction that it is and not, oh, let's say that all these homes are condemned, although they're not, 
they're, they're still salvageable, right? And let's take them on pennies on the dollar and do what we need to do, flip and not live in the community. That's one approach that it's a personal, you know, thing for me uh, that I don't think is um, solid unless there's maybe a program or something attached to that, that that person who wants to come back now and really loves Aunt Susan's home now for the things that it made that person, you know, I became who I was in this home. I really felt confident and, you know, those visceral things that are important. Um, it's an intense conversation um, when, it, when it comes to that and when it comes to just really thinking of that word gentrification and the city of Atlanta mm-hmm. at the moment and in the past six years, right. you know, um, it's about the hard discussions that I've found people in the South are afraid to have. And so, and it, so coming from someone who's not from here, yeah, but can, can make observations and can see like it all is going to take, like you're, you're both like right there, right there. Like just push the glass, like do it because something big and greater can come of it. Like this is the time in the city where something big and great. And you talk about it being a Phoenix, this is the time. This is the time before I feel 2020 as you, I mean, as you're watching, I mean, Atlanta is going to be San Francisco sooner than later. If we don't um, really watch what we're doing in our communities, you know, for our, our, the people that are, are working for our teachers our firefighters, they should not have a hard time finding a, some a place to live, you know, right. and, and the displacement, how can we take that displacement and reconfigure it and still keep that community, keep the soul, of the soul of it, the, the, the character, the, the culture, the things that are all about urban living, right. right. It's about that culture, soul, the engagement, people coming from everywhere. This is why I was saying black business. I feel the, the roots that I keep the, the soil from washing away every time it rains. I mean, in reality, um, all people move places for businesses. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Businesses follow businesses. Businesses cause other businesses to prosper. Because if they provide gainful employment, that's just more consumerism. So it's more opportunities for people to patronize. So when you look at all of these businesses uh, that make Atlanta what it is, how many of them are actually invested in keeping Atlanta Atlanta? And how many of them are arrested and bringing some concept of a global entity? I think there, there are more that are, are really wanting the culture of it at Atlanta or any um, city, right? There, there are people and entities that are intentional. And a lot of times what happens is, again, like you were saying, the stare. You're staring. But if we had a conversation... And I'm a company coming in from, you know, a lot of who's coming into Atlanta as well are people from other countries and other cultures that still see that the American dream is possible. possible. And in order to make that possible, the Americans here, you know, the Atlantans um, or ATL. You know, here, they're here. How do you, that connective tissue it's communication and engagement. It's having some of those conversations that may seem hard, but again, in the end, 
if you can have them and understand the needs of someone else, right? You can look at it that way, right? Supply and demand. I need to be close to the hospital. I need to be close because my grandma is in this uh, senior housing. You know, I need to be close. So it may not be what, what is, I was having this conversation with someone, you know, talking about affordable housing. It's the feasibility of something. It may not be the affordability because affordability is different to everybody, right? Like it just is, but the feasibility of renting this place, right? Is it feasible for me to do this or buying here and expending this amount of money? Because it allows for other stressors in my life to be diminished a little bit more. So my my way of living and working is is good, is healthy, you know? Um, so it's not maybe the affordability of it or the gentrification of something. It's like if you're displayed, if I, I'm being displaced and my whole life is right here, mm-hmm. And it's not feasible for me to stay. How can we make it affordable then? Then then where is it affordable or feasible for, for both ends? So if somebody's coming in and developing a 12 plex, all right, well, yes, maybe the market rents might be here now. However, the people that make that community or are part of that community and have stayed in the ups and downs and everything else, that's not going to be affordable or feasible, but let's make it feasible and then bring in the things that can encourage income growth for them too. So then they can come to that market level and still stay. And then the community is engaged the way it used to be, you know, like. And that, that's, that's the part that's very, very hard to embrace if the people coming in don't recognize the, the indigenous folks as part of value. As a transplant working with other transplants, mm-hmm. you know, and again, the intention, intentionality of how I do my business, most of the people I work with, that is important. Mm-hmm. And it's, then who do you find? Because at some point people are tired, exhausted, and just can't fight anymore. Mm-hmm you know, and maybe need someone to like, let me take my shoulder. Let's, let's try one more time. This might be it. You know, one more time. It's like that, that, that meme that I've seen where there are two people digging for diamonds, right? Mm-hmm. The one guy, there's a huge sizable diamond and all he has to do is pick through one, one more, more time. Part. And then the other guy who found one and that was the only one that he'll really, it, it's like that hole in that, that analogy right there. It's like, we all need to know that there's someone out there willing to work with us, right? To get to a place that makes sense for everybody. Nobody wants to take, well, most people don't want to take away from other people. I hope, you know, that's not how I operate. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's hard to believe, yeah. but it is, a, it is a, 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 I mean, a, it is kind of some people's definition of care. Right. Yeah, right. it is uh, some people's, but that's not, the true um I mean Tupac said it. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme. Give back, 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 back. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those where you want everything, but most people don't want to necessarily share it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and you wonder how did they get to that point? Because that wasn't always the case. I mean, as children, we're not like that, you know. Wow. I mean, some of, it, some of it is learned behavior, either by the people who are wearing you, mm-hmm. right? Or 
what you see in an outside environment, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, a lot of it does come back to probably parenting. You know what I mean? A lot of us are the way we are based off of how we were parentally advised mm-hmm. growing up. Mm-hmm. So just like just like racism, racism isn't it isn't intrinsic. It's a learned behavior, mm-hmm. right? And the same thing would would come with being communal, mm-hmm. right? Nowadays, everything is really tribal, which is why we have the conflicts that we do right now, right? One person doesn't want to listen to the next person, right? The same thing happens with business. It's like, this is the way I'm going to do it. Like, you hear it all the time, how people say Steve Jobs was an asshole, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of people pick up that mantle and they act like a mm-hmm. Steve Jobs because, mm-hmm. let's face it, Apple was successful, mm-hmm. right? But there are other people who do business differently, right? And garner the same results. So it all depends on what ecosystem you're in. What ecosystem you're in and what fears you you keep carrying and perpetuating in your everyday. Because, I mean, if you're functioning on fear all the time, the fear of lack or the fear of vulnerability or the fear, if fear is your driver, then in most Cases, all the other negative things that come with fear are expounded, right? So love, understanding, um, abundance for everyone is your driver. It happens. And then it allows your mind to to sit across from someone, to, to engage differently and to go, okay, so we're here. We're in, we're in this space together for a reason. Whatever I think my struggle might be, might be something you're struggling with on a different level. So let's say there is somebody with $70 million that wants to do something and truly affect change because maybe their fear mechanisms or the conditioning got them to this place and they're sitting here going, this is not fulfilling. Great. I have all this money, but what have I done? Who has been hurt in the process of me getting here? And now what can I do to shift that energy of that money into a space where it is allowing other things to thrive and, and grow. Like if you have the means and you don't want to die with it, where, where, where's it going to go when you pass on? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would love you know, people who bequeath to library books are important. Like save the libraries. You know, I'm all about that. What can you do to take that green capital and put it into human capital, right? And into a community and let it flow in the vein of that community, like life-saving blood. Like, so if that, if you have an idea, I have the capital, I want to do something, let's do something. It's not that hard. And it's not about education levels, skill set, drive, ability, communication. You know, most people who do well and do well with longevity are those who understand community within their office space, within their home, within their actual community, right? You understand that every person in that community is an important factor to your life, whatever that is. That guy didn't pick up the tree that was in the middle of the road, you can have gotten to work on time or gotten your child to school on time or gotten a family member to the hospital on time if they didn't wake up to do their part. Their part. It's all about that paradigm shift, though. You know, a lot of people don't 
if people could see outside of their own situation and or ability, right? And see where we all interconnect and where we all, you know, are are interdependent on each other, Mm -hmm. then things would be, everybody would be more prosperous. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, would be, would probably, you would usher people into their purpose, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. I'm not about stifling or snuffing out, you know, that question, are, are you a candle or a mirror question? I'm not snuffing anybody's light. That's not me. And there are times as you and I were talking about, sometimes we're okay with being in the background because if somebody needs that foreground, confident enough in who I am, that right. it's okay. Like I, that's not what I need or want. We don't all want and need the same things. So how do you have those difficult conversations, America? That's, <laughs> that is probably one of the hardest questions. If you really think about it, it's, and it's not a hard question. It's, it's hard in the execution. Mm -hmm. Cause again, like we were saying earlier, people have a hard time being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And again, yeah, it goes back to that. You know, it's like, sometimes I wish people could just visualize themselves, you know, as being newly born, right. Into the elements here. You had your cozy womb. Everything was great. You could hear mom's heartbeat or hear, you know, the voices of the the people that you're going to come out into the world to meet someday. And you have to be vulnerable to the pain of being birthed because that's a very traumatic thing for the mother and the child, right? It's the closest to death that, and sometimes it leads to, you know, to just go there. I was totally vulnerable to the nurse or the midwife or the doctor that was catching me, right? And you had no choice in that matter. Yeah, I had no choice. And maybe sometimes it's that I, I'm at this point and I have no choice but to be vulnerable. Humanity should not look at that as you are weak because you're not. You know, those who can be vulnerable, those who can be transparent to a point, you know, we all have our red line. Yeah, you know. <laughs> You'd be amazed at the things that can happen just in that. And and again, it goes back to your question of the people who don't hear no. It's easy to get a yes. I'm going to give you $50,000 and demand a yes of you. Even if you know it's, it, this is completely asinine and it's not going to work because I don't want to hear no. I don't want to be vulnerable enough to hear no. Really? What about you give me that $50,000 and that equates to $5 million because I said no here, but it could be a yes there. My no's are you are yeses, okay? In in the context of that, like, no, it's not going to work here. If this is what you're wanting, let's turn this no into a yes by going this direction. And then here's the, you know, if you need the factoids, you know, here's the discovery. I already worked on that. You want the discovery? Okay. But I'm giving you 24 hours to look through that. And if you can't decide and if you're gym, then, okay, I got to move on to somebody that does understand and, and understands the importance of time is of the essence, right? And, and if making that decision that could totally just disrupt and blow something up in an amazing way. Like if you're not there, then I know I can't get you there. And time is of the essence for the next 20 years, time is of the essence. So yeah, it's easy to say no. It's easy to say no. I have to say no so I can say yes to the things that are important. Last question uh, for me. Uh, how many people have seen Grace and Moi. Grace and 
Yeah. Um, are you uh, currently pulling any like interns from colleges or, or you know, I've gotten to that to point where I realized that maybe um, that's the direction I should go, you know, um, and I've been told for most of my life that I'm kind of a teacher anyway, and I, I don't mind that, you know, I, knowledge is definitely power. And yeah, I'd be willing to have students come in. But I'd like to make sure that at some point, you know, their energy and their enthusiasm uh, equates to financial uh, freedom. I'm not a user, you know, um, so that's important. Like if this is something that you're really passionate about and you really want to go in this direction, I'm here. The door's always open. You know, people know, people know we know that. Yeah. You can call me, text me, email, you know. Um, even coming out and doing this part, you know, I, I said earlier, I've always kind of been incognito or the stealth quiet agent. Not no more. I, I, I can't be. I have to listen to the things that I'm saying as well. You know, time is of the essence. And um, if this is a platform, then I'm I'm accepting of it. So what, what do you think? Because Atlanta is, is on that. Like a lot of people think Atlanta has already arrived. Oh, you know, no. Right. Mm-hmm. I tend to think that Atlanta is more on the precipice of being like your L.A.'s, your New York's, you know what I mean? Where you have to come through here in order to get where you're going, right? If you can make it in the A, you can make it anywhere. Right. right. Yeah. So what's the shift that you see? Or, or what do you, what do you, what do you... On a very positive note, mm-hmm. what's going on in D.C. has definitely, even in the six and a quarter years that I've been in Atlanta, um, has definitely allowed people to engage. So if we can take that energy, if it, even if it's coming out of desperation, it's it's like, oh, the light finally hit some people. Like, there, there's so many people that are just so complacent. Like, they, automated. Yeah, this is, yeah, I'll do Drums. this. And, okay, you know, in two months, we're going to go, like, life is on the same calendar. They're realizing they can't live like that anymore. And they are engaging and are having conversations. So how do we take that energy and, like, build it to a point where, yeah, I say the next two years for Atlanta are are, um, our hallmark years. They They are definitive years of what direction the city will take in the next 100 years. And by 2040, right, we're going to be at 8.6 million people or more. Do we have the infrastructure for that? Truly have the infrastructure for that. If we're copying, copying, pasting the same thing that maybe, you know, the obsolescence, if you're talking about buildings, right? Okay, we build these great condos, but they're not serving the purpose that they should have served. And then we're destroying stuff that should be preserved instead of thinking about retrofitting 
and keeping solid structures, right? Um, within, again, it's like, it goes back to the community, it goes back to the ecosystem. We can't all be the same, uh, the same enzyme <laughs> or the same bacteria. Cause at some point we're going to die off, right. right? We can't thrive. We gotta have good bacteria, bad bacteria and everything in between. Um, and you can feed one that maybe um, changes, right? Because now it has an element of another. So we have now become a good, uh, what is that? The CDC is talking about these um, bacteria, like new, like never seen before. You know, we don't have the sanitizer. Mutated. They're mutated. So some mutations are great mutations to have because then we discover that, oh, that mutation works in taking care of this thing, this cancer, right? So how do we eradicate the cancers that are killing a community? Got to identify them first. And acknowledge them and be vulnerable enough to say, okay, yeah, you know, maybe smoking does lead to, we don't need to have the the Surgeon General tell us that if we've seen family members die off every day, drinking, you know, all these things. How do you do that? Communication, engagement. Okay, the solution might work for you, like discussing teachers, not everybody learns the same. So if you learn this way, and I know that you're able to help me, because you also learned that way and you took that and monetized that, but you did it in order to help other people to learn, to, that learn the same way you do because you know that you are important in this space. How do we do that? Am I asking a lot of questions? Hmm? Am I asking a lot of questions? No, 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 no. You know, that's how my mind works on a regular. Um, it confounds some of my friends sometimes, you know, but all I want is... Utopia is unrealistic, of course, but I just want people functioning whole as whoever they are. And they are living their purpose and giving their gifts and leaving their legacies here. We need that. I think more people need to think in the realm of legacy as opposed to. Being a one hit wonder. Right. Yeah. Because it's, you know, a lot I think that's part of the reason why we have such a microwave society. Everybody wants everything right now. Yeah. Not understanding that legacies take decades to build, but those legacies also leave, tend to leave generational wealth where the next generation is, is truly better off Mm -hmm. than the one that preceded it. Impermeable. Yeah. You know, every conversation isn't going to be the same. This is, you know, and, and this is one of those more intellectual more deep-seated conversation. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm deep. Sometimes you got to bring me up to the surface, mm-hmm. right? Because that's important too. Um, but it's, it's like, you know, when you get to the visceral uh, reaction, all the logic has already done what it needed to do to get you to that emotional, yes, this feels great. Like, I want this house or I want this building or I want that, whatever. The logic is already there. And then when you try to throw the logic back, what happens? Discombobulation. Then you're second guessing stuff that you've already worked through. So I guess I'm the, the amygdala. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna have to you gonna have to explain what that is to some people. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm the subconscious, right? That's there. But that you're scared to, to play, listen to to play with and listen to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not scary. I want I want you to be happy and joyous and living living 
a full, amazing life and sharing who you are. That's, and I know it sounds strange coming from a, a real estate broker, but yes, like live it. Be you. Because being you affects change. You know, if we can go, through, can I swear? Yeah. Okay. If we can cut through the bullshit. Right. Which there is a lot of. Yeah. And it's unnecessary. A lot of it is. It's like the salad looks great. It's perfect. It's going to hit every piece of my mouth, my pet, like all of these memories, all these great things. Let me throw in some nails. What? Why? Eat the salad. Live the salad. Right. But some you know? people, some people do self-sabotage though. They do. But the self-saboteurs have a fear of success. And why is that? Who in their family or who in their life that they really looked up to did success destroy? That has nothing to do with that individual, that person. It's however that person was equipped, you know, money doesn't solve problems. Right. Sometimes it magnifies them. Sometimes it magnifies them. So then you can't look at that example and go, well, that's how I'm going to be if I succeed. So let me just be in my comfort level of success. Like I'll know, I know what I'm going to struggle with in two months because why? Like be in a mindset of like, well, if that additional abundance was there and I'm already set here. And then I realize I need these other components to be okay. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to delegate. It's okay to let go of control. Yeah, that's easier said than done for most. It, it is. But once you do, and once you feel the ease of it, you know, everybody wants, to, I don't want to be in dis-ease, illness. All of that is internalizing things, internalizing toxic things. You can't do that. Poisoning yourself with your own thoughts or conditions that were put into you. If they don't feel right, they don't feel right. Like take a psychological enema. I don't know. Do something. But you got to be vulnerable to that. You got to be vulnerable to the fact that, yeah, I, I took a an X-Lax and the nearest bathroom is probably not, you know, be vulnerable to what that might mean because at least you will ease whatever that condition is out. Yeah. But I feel I feel like I feel like this is needed. Yeah, you know, I'm that person where it's good to sit back and listen, and 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 feel a space and and feel where something maybe needs to go for whatever reason. Whoever might be listening, you know, there's always time to talk about the the superfluous stuff. Mm-hmm. There's always time for that. There's not a lot of time to talk about the deep stuff that might like ignite you to do what you need to do right now. Right. And put you in a place where you are healthy in every way. That's important to me. So tell us where we can find you. Even though I know you don't want to be found sometimes. Oh. (laughs) You can find me pretty easily. I think the best thing is probably Instagram. Again, the social media thing and mental health are uh, a big deal for me. But if that's how you can find me you can find me on instagram ms l thrasher and uh grace and lloyd for the business and i'm i'm online linkedin linkedin yes facebook 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. We, had a, we already had a hard time with that this morning. Yeah, so thank you, all of you that might be watching me live. That was, it was, but yeah. Thank you so much, Miss Thrasher. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you.